to put your heart into it. The HVC podcast centered around educating providers and staff about common clinical scenarios so that we can better treat our patients. Podcasts on this account are meant for educational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for medical diagnoses or advice. If you have any clinical symptoms or medical questions, please consult a licensed healthcare provider. Let's get started on this month's podcast. Hello, everyone. Again, we did have two very excellent podcasts with Dr. Kang about carotid disease. And if you haven't heard those, part one was about screening and carotid ultrasound and diagnosing carotid disease. And part two was about the treatments and procedures, surgery and stent for carotid disease. So another, uh, you know, vascular bed that, you know, vascular surgeons help us a lot with is something that, you know, is, is sort of a silent thing until it's a major problem. Um, we had a session with um, vascular, with cardiac surgery about thoracic aneurysm, and that incidence is growing, but something that's always been around has been AAA or abdominal aortic aneurysm. So this is a disease process where, you know, you certainly don't want to miss it. Um, you know, the the fatality rate for rupture, I mean, I, I think still it's it's very, very high. We may not even know what accurately because some of them don't make it to the hospital. Um, we could talk about, I think, who to screen, the risk factors. Um, obviously, is there like an aortic index like there is for thoracic aneurysms and the types of repairs? So, um, I, you know, I, I know from my experience that family history and number, you know, but number one is still tobacco use. Any type of tobacco use is the risk factor. Um, and Dr. Kang, what, what's what's your take on that? Um, yeah, so um, as you mentioned, you know, the AAA disease, even though we are doing better with screening people, um, still is a pretty significant, you know, cause of death in the U.S. Um, you know, when you rupture, you know, as you mentioned, um, you know, 75 to 85% of people don't survive. Um, and so 50% of people we say don't survive the initial rupture, you know, 50% of people who survive the rupture, you know, don't survive the surgery or the complications after surgery, you know, with losing that much blood, you know, your multi-system organ dysfunction, you know, it does often lead to significant complications and, and disability that can last for weeks, if not months. So in that regard, um, it would be important to try to catch these aneurysms before they rupture, fix them before they can potentially become a problem. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, the, the um, cardiothoracic talk about the ascending aneurysm disease was great. Um, you know, I don't know if it was mentioned, but, you know, there's still a significant number, like one and a half percent of people between the ages of like 50 and 80 have aneurysms. And like 30% of those are AAA disease. And as you said, the biggest risk factors are generally family history and smoking. Um, you know, we often, we've seen that, you know, when you have patients with like um, high blood pressure, cholesterol problems, diabetes, you know, all those other, you know, vascular risk factors, um, <clears throat> you know, even, even controlling that stuff can reduce your, your risk by two to three times. But smoking independently increases risk by about 12 times. Um, so smoking by far is one of the biggest risk factors and, and even in terms of screening is one of the driving forces of like when you should evaluate for a potential aneurysm. 
I always like one thought about like why does tobacco do this in, in the abdominal aneurysm? And you know, I've tried to read a lot of things and my, my simple mind, I mean, the only sort of way I try to explain it to people and to myself is that in other like the carotid or the or, or the coronaries, you know, you sort of have, you know, it, it initially has some maybe positive remodeling where it builds up outside the walls of the artery, but then it, it, it sort of builds up on the inside and then you get a progressive stenosis. But in the abdominal aorta, obviously we sometimes see some narrowing in stenosis or occlusion, but AAA is probably more common. The way I sort of think of it is, I, I think that there's some sort of nicotine damage on the media of the arterial wall and it just sort of balloons out, you know, like it, it, it hits that, that media damages it. And instead of sort of stenosing in because of the force of all the blood pressure and the pounding you see there, obviously hypertension is a, is a risk factor too. You just get that progressive ballooning of the thoracic and the abdominal aorta. I, I don't know if you have a better mechanism or there's more research on that recently. Uh, quite frankly, I mean, there is a lot of like theory and, you know, you hear all these MMP, you know, like the MMPs and, you know, ultimately I think it's, it's like what you said. I mean, essentially like smoking is an inflammatory process and, you know, even though there are things as like inflammatory aneurysms, I mean, really what you're doing, whatever vascular bed is you're creating kind of inflammation of your blood vessel, which, you know, and it, in a kind of a simple way to talk about it, you know, like basically you, you inflame a vessel, your body tries to extinguish, extinguish that flame by jamming in uh, like cholesterol and, you know, things like that. Right. And so as you thicken this plaque and <clears throat> damage the blood vessel, the, the areas can become, you know, relatively hypoxic. And so, especially, you know, when you start getting these bulging areas that can accentuate some of the wall stress and, and, um, the um, relative hypoxia of that vessel and it does damage that vessel more and you know the it's it's not one of those things that we often see just kind of heal right we it just continually progressively gets worse so we never tell I mean, you know like we often have to tell patients this is not something you can just exercise away or medication away um, this is a progressive process even if you even if you start to correct you know bad habits you know smoking you know, eating right, exercising regularly, that may reduce your risk, but you you are going to have an aneurysm that will progressively worsen, like enlarge, and eventually um, will rupture. Now, you know, if you're old enough, you may not have to worry about that because other disease processes will take your life first. But you know, it is something that if you live around, if you live long enough, that aneurysm um, can potentially become, you know, life-ending event. So. Dr. King, what is the criteria for screening um, in terms of asymptomatic people? Then we could talk about people that maybe have perhaps abdominal pain or something palpated on exam. So what are the screening for completely asymptomatic? So for completely asymptomatic patients, you know, the traditional criteria for screening was any man older than 65 that... Um, had a history of smoking more than 100 cigarettes in his lifetime. So as of 2018, the Vascular Society has expanded that to basically men or women older than 65 um, who have a history of smoking or, you know, a relative with a AAA. Generally, we, we say that, that if it's like a first-degree relative, 
Um, but generally, if you have a family family history of, of AAA disease, it's probably a good idea to get screened. You know, as we talked about in the carotid um, talk, you know, the ultrasound is a pretty easy way to get um, a lot of good information without a lot of risk. You know, there's no uh, radiation or dye. And so if there's a concern, it's better just to screen them. Now, generally, again, it's going to be um, uh, patients older than 65 with a history of smoking or a, a relative with a known abdominal aortic aneurysm. Um, other reasons you may, you know, want to... Um, obtain an abdominal ultrasound or things like hearing bruies. Um, abdominal bruies don't always indicate an abdominal aortic aneurysm, but oftentimes it is good to evaluate. Um, it could indicate things like renal artery stenosis or mesenteric disease, um, but it can also indicate, you know, the presence of an abdominal aortic aneurysm. Um, obviously, if there's a pulse to mass on exam, um, physical exam is actually not a very good way to identify an aneurysm. Most people, even with a, you know, four centimeter aneurysm, um, like 75% of of exams miss that aneurysm. So unless they're a very, very skinny patient, you know, a physical exam is not generally good enough to identify an aneurysm. Um, and so, but if you do feel something, it is a good idea to get an ultrasound. Yeah, I think on people like, even after I know they have an aneurysm, I know they have the size, the only ones I could really palpate anything are ones that are, you know, low, medium or low BMI. And then the, some of the folks that are low BMI, you know, you, you palpate, and you feel it anyways, even though they don't have an aneurysm. So I, I don't think physical exam is is that um, helpful. But it's it's it you know it is it's pretty remarkable when you see a really big one, um, and and you could you could palpate it. It's it's sort of scary. <laughs> you know the other reason you should look for aneurysms as well is if you find another aneurysm somewhere else. So um, <clears throat> you know if you have if you have a peripheral artery aneurysm, like for example, a popliteal artery aneurysm or a femoral aneurysm, you know, we often say you have about a 40% chance, that's probably a little overestimate, but about a 40% chance you have an abdominal aortic aneurysm. You know, one of the things for our surgical boards, you know, vascular surgery boards is if you have a patient who gets a popliteal artery aneurysm, you better get that abdominal aortic ultrasound or you fail the exam because you will, you will have missed an abdominal aortic aneurysm. Um, now, the, the reverse is not necessarily true, though. So if you have a patient with an abdominal aortic aneurysm, only about 14%, um, somewhere like 12 to 14% may have a peripheral aneurysm somewhere else. Um, but, you know, it's, it, it's, it, it's um, if you find a peripheral aneurysm, you should definitely look for an abdominal aortic aneurysm. Now, the one, the one question I often hear is what about people with cerebral aneurysms? Like if they have a cerebral aneurysm, should we screen for an abdominal aortic aneurysm or the vice versa? <clears throat> now, some studies have shown that there are higher correlations. When you have an abdominal aortic aneurysm, you could have a intracranial aneurysm. And if you have an intracranial aneurysm, a good number do have abdominal aortic aneurysms. But for whatever reason, many insurances don't cover screening for that reason. Uh, but that being said, if if you have a suspicion, you know, again, if there's another, you know, you may be able to get an ultrasound or other imaging modality to rule out that aneurysm. Um, okay. Um, what, now, what's the standard screening, I think we know is carotid ultrasound, sorry, uh, abdominal ultrasound, AAA scan. Um, here here at our office, we, we definitely make sure we prep them with a a laxative the night before. We want them NPO, no smoking that morning. Um, and um, I think we've had pretty good results and pretty good images in this, in some people that you just, 
you just can't get good images. I think a non-contrast CT is is probably fine. Um, and do you guys, how do you guys do it at your office? Uh, yeah, so we, we don't we don't do the laxative thing. We we do um, we do insist that they're NPO, and we do have a good number of patients who do have some, you know, because the the bowel when it's filled with air, we can't ultrasound through it. So if you have a patient with, you know, a belly full of air is because, you know, for whatever reason, it does make the imaging of the aorta much harder, especially if they're obese. Um, it does make the accuracy of the measurement much worse, um, you know, if you can even see it at all. So we do insist that they're at least NPO, um, but, uh, you know, I, we, haven't, we haven't adopted the laxative thing. This, the non, no smoking thing is a good idea. Um, but yeah, generally we'll do an abdominal aortic ultrasound to evaluate for aneurysms or follow aneurysms. Now, the 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 we don't generally get CTs routinely. So we will get a CT if there is a finding on an ultrasound that is concerning. Generally, if their aneurysm is either grown really rapidly or it's close to a size where we would consider surgery. So if, for example, like we get an aneurysm measurement of like 5.4, 5.6 on an ultrasound, that would warrant further investigation with the CT. If we see like on the year before, their aneurysm was like say 4.2 and now it's 5.6, that was much more rapid growth than we expected. Um, or even if it was like say 3.8 and now it's 4. Uh, you know, 4.8 in six months, you know, for whatever reason, then we might want, we might get a CT to verify some of those sizes. In general, if we're going to get a CT, the purpose is because we intend to fix it. Um, and so oftentimes we will get it with contrast. Um, even though a non-contrast CT is often sufficient, um, you know, the, the reality is when you do a non-contrast CT, the measurement can actually be a little bit off because you can't see the um, you know, without that contrast, you don't see the wall of the aorta very well. And if there's a lot of bowel on it, you know, and, or there's other, you know, soft tissue stuff, sometimes you can, you know, overestimate or underestimate the size. Not that's, but that's not really the main reason. The main reason is because when we consider doing an intervention, either we do, we fix it minimally invasive or even for an open repair, we really want to get a state of the vessels. A lot of, um, you know, uh, Patients with aortic aneurysms do have a lot of atherosclerotic disease. Um, and so if you have a lot of soft plaque around the kidney arteries, for example, if we were to place a clamp, we don't want to shove that plaque into the kidney arteries. Um, we may want to plan to do something, you know, uh, you know, we may want to adjust our plans for that surgical repair if there's a lot of junk around the kidney arteries or depending on, you know, how the aneurysm shape is and, the, you know, internally, um, that might affect our, some of our decision-making in terms of how we proceed with the repair, risk of embolization, this and that. Um, and so oftentimes, if we get a CT, it's to verify a size, um, and it is because we are considering a surgery. Now, you know, if it is just to verify, like maybe we want to make sure that, you know, this year it showed a little bit bigger growth than we expected, we may get a non-contrast CT just to see, um, especially if they do have renal di uh, dysfunction. Um, but more often than not, if we're going to order a CT, we're just going to do it with contrast. But what are the sizes now? I think that would be the next question. What are the sizes you're concerned about? Obviously, the size you operate on, but also the size where you say, hey, this doesn't need follow-up, and then the sizes you do need follow-up what's, you know, how often do you, do you do follow them? So, um, you know, traditionally, 
um, generally any aneurysm we follow annually, right? So that was kind of the traditional way to do it. And when it gets to about four and a half, we might follow it every six months. Once it's, once it's over five to five and a half, you know, if it's over five, you know, then we sometimes consider disgusting surgery. Nowadays, we generally don't recommend repair under 5.5 centimeters. Uh, sorry, um, what, what do you consider aneurysm, 2.5 or three? So there is not actually a raw number. Now, traditionally, um, people have used the three centimeter number to indicate an aneurysm. However, that's not exactly accurate because it's really, the size should be 50% larger than the adjacent normal segment. You know, so if you have a patient with a small aorta, you know, maybe about, you know, 1.5 centimeters, you know, a three centimeter aneurysm or three centimeters is definitely an aneurysm, right? But if the aorta is like 2.7 centimeters and that's normal for them, um, and then they have like a three centimeter segment, that's not an aneurysm, right? We call that maybe ectasia or normal. So technically an aneurysm is 50% larger than the adjacent normal segment. Um, but in general, because, you know, we're not necessarily able to evaluate the aorta up and down very easily, we often do use the criteria for like three centimeters as an aneurysm. Um, anything smaller, you know, if it's kind of between normal size, like say less than, or greater than two and a half, but less than three, we may call that aortic ectasia, meaning that it's a, it's enlargement, but it's not quite an aneurysm yet. Um, most times don't, those don't need to be followed regularly. In fact, the, the chance that an aortic ectasia is going to advance to like a significant aneurysm in a person's lifetime is about 4% or less. And so it's, it's very unlikely that that's going to become a significant problem. Now, to be safe, you may want to have them repeat that scan, like say again, 10 years, just to see if it's doing anything weird, especially if they have a good, like a strong family history, or there's other things that you get concerned about. Um, but in general, you know, something under three centimeters, you really don't need to follow. Um, in fact, even, yeah. Oh, I, I, one thing that I, I don't, I'm not familiar with the, the abdominal aneurysm is, is like something like an index, like for the thoracic aorta, we have a, an aortic index, you know, where you could, you compare the size to their height. So for example, a, you know, six foot three male with a, actually does it's, it's, it's irregardless of sex, a six foot three person with a aorta in the chest of 4.5, 4.6 centimeters is way lower risk than a, than a, you know, five foot two person with a 4.5 centimeter th uh, thoracic aorta. And I don't think they really correlated for height for, for, for abdominal. I think it's just the raw number. And, and yeah, I, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with studies. I mean, there are, there are a few studies that show that there is some sort of correlation between an index and, you know, the, you know, whether or not an aneurysm is going to do anything important, but it's just not, it's, it's not widespread and it's not widely accepted and it hasn't provided any more data because really what, what we're looking for is we're not just trying to say, do you have an aneurysm, right? We really want to know, <clears throat> do we have to fix this thing? So the reality is, you know, really based on, and the biggest risk factor, well, not biggest risk factor, but you know, one of the biggest risk factors is going to be, um, the size. So, I'm not sure that finding a ratio is going to make it that much more, uh, you know, I don't know if there's been any studies to really tell us that, you know, doing that ratio with height is really going to be that much more predictive of rupture, um, mostly because we do know that from a lot of studies that um, aneurysms, once they reach certain sizes, their, their growth rate and the rupture risk start to grow exponentially. 
and so um no we don't we don't really use indices for for watching aneurysms we don't we don't really talk about it in that regard really just diameters um the the tricky part though is that with aortic aneurysms it's not just a simple matter of of size because you know for example a small framed um lady um is going to have a higher rupture risk at a smaller size than you know a big guy with large blood vessels right um but you know there there are things like computer models to to you know look at wall stress you know especially if you have kind of a um uh like a saccular aneurysm you know so when we talk about aneurysms um they can have different shapes they can have like a fusiform which is kind of growth all the way around circumferentially or saccular where you form uh an asymmetric enlargement kind of like a bubble off the side and the saccular are obviously going to have much higher rupture risk than a fusiform aneurysm um, but for a, you know someone who smart start, starts with a smaller blood vessel, you know a, a you know five and a half centimeter aneurysm may be the same as like say a six or six and a half, six and a half centimeter aneurysm for a for a larger patient with a larger aorta. Um, but again, we don't use indices necessarily. I mean, we don't really talk about it in that regard. We just use basically the diameters. So what? So we're saying under three, perhaps usually unless it's um, you know, sort of saccular probably doesn't need follow-up, just risk factor modification, unless perhaps it's a lot bigger than the surrounding. Between three and four and a half to five, probably yearly monitoring. And then, you know, above five or with a growth rate that's significant, you probably are thinking about a referral to vascular surgery. Right. Because, well, you, yeah, usually between three and four or three and five, we're, we are going to, even with the, between three and four, you know, we're not, we're not necessarily needing to follow it that closely. You could probably follow it every two years. Okay. Between four and five, you really should follow it annually. When it gets to five to five and a half, we do follow it at least every six months because again, five and a half generally is our number to repair. Um, but definitely once it hits that five centimeter mark, it's probably a good idea to refer. Um, you know, because again, there are some certain nuances that, um, you know, we may we may identify that would warrant a sooner repair. Plus, to be honest, a lot of patients may just be really freaked out. Um, the the reality is, you know, patients will, you know, once they get to that five five and a half centimeter mark, we do expect them to enlarge to a fixable size in the future, right? So, um, you know, obviously, if you have like a ninety year old who has like a five centimeter aneurysm. We're not too worried about that guy, but you know, if you're 70 and you already have a 5.2 centimeter aneurysm, I mean, is there if this patient is losing sleep, you know, they're really freaked out about it. Doesn't make sense to make them wait till five and a half, just by numbers wise. You know, that that's a discussion that we often have with them. You know, um, do we have to do it? No, but you know, I have had patients who um, have significant growth in the time period when we're watching them. I had a guy who had a 4.8 centimeter aneurysm. He came in ruptured within three months and his aneurysm had grown to six and a half centimeters. So again, those are the outliers. That's not the norm. In general, we, we recommend repair at five and a half centimeters. Um, but once it gets about five, that's something that takes a little bit of, you know, oftentimes we'll have discussions with the patient and, um, you know, have a little bit more in-depth um, discussion regarding whether or not it's appropriate to repair, you know, in that range. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time for another cardiology-focused episode.